Well, let's open our Bibles to Ephesians 4 for a few minutes this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's share some thoughts that have been wrestling in my mind this last week. Ephesians 4, verse 29, I'm sorry, verse 30 through the end of the chapter. Ephesians 4. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Just by itself, this is sort of a stunning passage. For a child of God to be Having to have to be reminded or told, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Who would, who has seen the grace of God and the love of God and experienced that, who would pick up a, a fist to aim at the Holy Spirit of God? By itself, this is as we just said, stunning language. But, but juxtaposed against last week, it just is deflating, isn't it, in a way? Last week, we, we looked at the same writer, Paul, speaking to Christians, just like those he wrote to in Corinth. In fact, we would say that the Ephesian Christians were in a much better spiritual place than the people he wrote to in Corinth, right? Corinth is this is this uh, letters that are joined together and one of them is filled with, um, with rebuke and, and ex- exposing of, of deeply rooted sins. And then the follow-up letter that we looked at last week is filled with thanksgiving for their repentance and confession of their sins and turning from sins. Ephesians is a much more... It's, it's not so, so, so turbulent. Ephesians is written to those who have taken um, idols that they were, they were making their, 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 their living with and they had thrown them away and they had turned from idolatry to serve the living and true God. And Paul writes of the riches that they enjoy in Christ Jesus. We would say that the Ephesian church is in a much better place, at least apparently Revelation would tell us that they were not in such a good place because they had, they had lost this first love. So they were filled with knowledge of truth, at least in the head. But their hearts weren't in the same place where their head was. Their heart was not drawn out in love to God. So in other words, they could recite truth and understand truth and could defend truth. That's what it says in Revelation chapter 2. But they weren't moved by truth. Truth like God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you, did not move their hearts. Now again, let's compare that with last Sunday. Paul has to create a word. 
unspeakable because he sees this amazing reverberating effect of God's love to sinners flaming out of their hearts towards those who they don't even know. Towards those who culturally were enemies of long history. And now their hearts are given so that they give themselves to the Lord. And then from their poverty, they give abundantly for the supply of another. And they are filled with wonder and filled with thanksgiving that they are able to do that. Isn't that amazing? I'm so thankful I didn't know he was going to do that. I think Brother Roy asked Nathan to, I mean, asked uh, uh, Luke to read Psalm 51 today. Lord, wash me. As we read Ephesians 4, that should be the first thought in our heart, right? Lord, wash me. How can these two things exist together? How can I love you on one hand and then retain bitter thoughts and feelings and and, and, and attitudes on the other hand? How can this be? Paul almost went into despair in Romans 7. His clinging hope was that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus in the first of chapter 8. But in Romans 7, he's like, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? The reality is that we are in a struggle. A struggle for our sanity. A struggle to look like Christ. A struggle to clothe ourselves with what our greatest with that which we have placed all of our trust. We just sang this song, holy, uh, 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 venture to Him holy. So we have ventured to Christ holy. We place all of our trust in Christ holy. And at the same time, we, 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 we retain that which looks nothing like Him. That's what Ephesians 4 is saying. We sang this song earlier, though darkness hides, though sometimes darkness hides his face. We wonder, well, that's poetic language. What does this darkness look like? Well, darkness, darkness looks like most of the time things like Ephesians 4.31. A lot of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Yesterday, a friend texted me mid-morning and said, what can I pray for you today? I get those texts occasionally. You ever get those kind of texts? And you go, what do I do with this? <laughs> do I really tell him? And, and, and I, was, I was tempted to uh, say, well, pray for patience. <laughs> Instead, I decided to be honest. I said, listen, so I'm planning to preach on bitterness tomorrow. And yet my mind is being invaded this morning with all kinds of bitter thoughts. So will you pray about that? That's the darkness. That's the common darkness that tends to hide his face. You say, what do you mean hide his face? What I mean is, 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 is this is one of the most commonly known passages in all the scripture. And yet, would you admit with me that often it lacks a powerful punch? You, you can be a kind one to know, tenderhearted, forgiving, and yet it does absolutely nothing to affect anything in our hearts. Why is this? Well, there's a lot of reasons why this is. We're, we're, we're sinful. But I think one of, the, one of the primary reasons why passages like Ephesians 4 can just 
can just hit against a, a steel um, barrier covering our hearts is because our own understanding of what is right is offended. Do you remember Jonah? You remember what God said to Jonah's haunting words in the last chapter of Jonah? Twice, God asked Jonah a question. What does he say? Jonah, doest thou well to be angry? The first time, then God makes a gourd for Jonah to, to cover him. So there's, no, there's no audible answer from Jonah the first time. But the second time, after God has created this gourd to cover Jonah, to protect him from the heat, and then God has prepared a worm to eat the gourd so that it falls, and then God has sent this heavy, sand, sandy dust wind to just invade Jonah's pores, God asked Jonah the question again. Jonah, do you well, doest thou well to be angry? And Jonah, this is paraphrase, says, you better believe I do right to be angry. Yes, I'm right to be angry. This is wrong. Now, as you are standing there in condemnation of Jonah to speak against God like that, let me ask you a question. How did you feel yesterday? It's not always about relationships, but sometimes about, it's ultimately about God, isn't it? How did you feel yesterday when you heard that Sister Sandra fell and broke her hip? Hmm? How did you feel when you heard that she was laboring for hours in the emergency room? Oh, we tend to get really wise at those times, don't we? Well, if I were in charge, I would do it this way, and these this people just don't know what they're doing, and blah, 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 blah. There's kernels of truth probably in, included in all that, but it goes out of control, doesn't it? You see, part of this, part of our sense of righteousness is right. Why does bitterness exist? Why do bitter thoughts exist? Why do bitter relationships exist? It's because things aren't right. (laughs) And as image bearers created in the image of God, we were created to long for righteousness. Right? The things just to be right. The Bible says in Romans 8 that, that all of nature, all of creation... It's longing, it's groaning, it's waiting. What is it waiting for? It's waiting for the appearing of Christ when the bodies will be adopted. And so when the bodies are adopted, they're raised. They look like what they're supposed to look like. They function how they're supposed to function. All of creation functions in a way that has not functioned In fact, a better way than it's ever functioned, but a way that has not functioned since the first bitter pill was was, was swallowed. So there's a right part of this. There's an interesting passage in Revelation 6 where where the martyred saints 
are saying, this is interesting, the martyr saints are saying, how long? Revelation 6. How long, O Lord? And maybe this is a good template for your prayers. How long, O Lord, is the desire for right? Things to be made whole and right. Here's the next words. Holy and true. This is the good part, right? This is the the important part. How long, O Lord? This is what I don't understand. but, But I know you are holy. And I know you are true. And God's holiness and God's truth, we must admit this, far transcend our own sense of right. You understand that? God's holiness, God's truth is far holier and far more true than our holiness and our truth. Okay? But not only that, God's holiness and truth far transcend even what we understand to be holy and true. Now, now for, 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 for Christians, especially Western Christians, this is a, this is a, a tough pill to swallow. Because we have, I shouldn't say this in a condemning way, but the way, the ways of God are presented is almost always presented in a Hallmark movie fashion. There's always a, a, a neat ribbon that's, that, that, that's, 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 that's tied over the present at the, at, at the last time and it's all packaged perfectly at the end. It's all this sort of a messy thing, but then the knight in shining armor sh- sh- uh, shows up and all is made well and all is made whole. And that is true ultimately. Right? But God's ways here... We must accept this are far beyond our ways. So that much of life is not neatly wrapped up in a way that we can just say, well, that makes sense. Elizabeth Elliot tells a story of being in Ecuador before she got married. She had this burning desire. She had this incredible gift of, 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 uh, of linguistics, and she understood languages very well. And so she, she, um, she had this incredible desire to... There was a tribe, the Colorado Indians down in Ecuador. Um, she had a desire to, to, to get the Bible into their language. So she was praying, Lord, just give me one person to, 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 who, who understands... She understood Spanish, understands Spanish and understands uh, uh, the Colorado language, give me one person that can help me out in this. And so this man appears. He was a good man, and he, 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 he was made apparent to her. And so he, they worked together for, for, for several months to, to begin to help her understand the, the language and how to, you know, all the things that linguist, linguistics people do. Okay? I'm not going to try to describe that because I don't know. And then... These robbers shot him in the head for no reason. Well, that was deflating, wasn't it? And so she, she found another man who was sober for about one hour out of every 24. And in that one hour, she would grab him. And he would help her out. And over a period of months and months and months and months and months and months and months, 
They worked at this. And finally she had it in a place where she thinks, we can, we can work with this. The Bible can be translated into their language. So she boxed up all the papers and all the work that they had done, and she sent it to the city where the work would be done. And on the way, more robbers robbed the bus. And do you think they had any interest in those boxes of papers? Of course not. Somewhere in some jungle in Ecuador, those boxes of papers were quickly just scattered. Of course, right? And guess what? That's the end of the story. That's the end of the story. There's nothing else to it. It was just lost. It was just gone. All that work was over. And you go, well, give me something more. No, there's nothing more to give you. Only in eternity, perhaps, (laughs) will there be more to say about that. But they they were never found. They were never recovered. That work was just lost. Now let me ask you, will you have a God like that? Will you have a God that doesn't promise to just box it up all neatly for you? Let me ask it a different way. Can your heart still be tender? Can your heart still be tender when God doesn't make it right in the way that you believe it should be right? Can you still be kind? Can you still have a heart really forgiving as just being willing to release? Can you be willing to release? Or must more occur? Are your demands more than God's? Now, God's demands are of of perfect justice, right? But how did God win justice on your behalf? God won justice on your behalf, not by your making things right in the way that we expect others to make things right. But God won justice on your behalf by by pouring out his wrath on another that you might be released from his wrath. So there's a right part of this, the longing. There's also, we must say this, we must, we must not minimize this, it's true. Why does, why does bitterness exist? Bitterness, is, bitterness exists because real people suffer. 
So your suffering is not a small thing. We're not up here this morning saying, well, just get over it. You haven't really suffered that much. It's not that bad. It's not, not at all what's being said. Creation is groaning. Habakkuk noticed that the wicked are compassing the righteous and wrong judgment is proceeding. Psalm 94, turn there for a moment. Psalm 94. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongeth. So we think about God telling, telling, telling us, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. <laughs> David has moved a step, or the, 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 the psalmist has moved a step beyond where we are, are urged to go. We're urged to say, we're, we, we're urged by Scripture to say, give, give it to God, vengeance belongeth to Him. David says, okay, Lord, I've done that. Lord, vengeance does belong to you. What does he say? Show yourself. Lift up thyself, thou judge of the earth. Render a reward to the proud. Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? How long shall they utter and speak hard things? And all the workers of iniquity boast themselves. The how long longing that we see of the martyr saints. This is because there is real suffering. Suffering is not the way life was designed to be experienced. God created a world that was good and very good. There was plenty and it was pleasant. It's here because the world is corrupted by sin. And so systems fail and things fail and people fail. Sometimes people hurt one another and sometimes people hurt one another on purpose now the question is again does Ephesians 4 31 32 apply to me when I've been hurt on purpose sometimes there's great damage that's inflicted in fact oftentimes there's great damage that's inflicted And yet, our holy longing for things to be made right. I just want peace. I just want calmness. Yet, this longing for things to be made right almost never stops with just the longing for things to be made right, does it? It always steps one step further. It says, I will withhold kindness. I will boundary my heart. We hear a lot in Christian circles today about the importance of erecting barriers and boundaries. And let me just say to that, there is a kernel of truth in that, but it looks very little like what God did with Christ. Right? He says, let this be put away from you. There's an urgency in Paul's words. There's a, 
command in Paul's words. Put it away. Now, why is Paul saying this? Well, let me give you a few reasons why Paul is so urgent to put away bitterness, to put away wrath, to put away anger. First of all, it's because Paul, as as a lover of Jesus, Paul loves these people just as God loves His children. And Paul understands exactly how damaging this is. We won't turn there right now, but bitterness is a word that's used in, in, in Scripture a lot. But, but, but the, 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 the destructive nature of bitterness is vivified for us in an incredibly horrific and in and, and, and horrifying way in the book of Numbers. I won't turn there right now, but in Numbers 5, um, there is this adultery test that God designed. And it was made up of water that had dust in the water. What God did with this dust doesn't tell us. It was called bitter water, cursed water. So when there was a suspicion of adultery, the person who was, who was suspected of adultery would be required to drink this water. And if they, were, if they were clean, there was no guilt, then the water didn't affect them. But if they were guilty, they would drink the water and there, it says their belly would swell and their thigh would rot. And they would be ruined forever. Grotesque. It's a kind of strange story, isn't it? So, so the, the, the point is not to figure out that the God's what works there in God's law, but there is a very re, uh, horrifying and yet helpful picture there of what, of what God says bitterness does. So there is suffering that has occurred Again, maybe by a person, it may just be suffering, period. Nobody caused Sister Sandra to fall yesterday. There's nobody you can blame. Just something that happened. And yet it can still be a source of real bitterness, couldn't it? Which ultimately, as every other one does, aims itself against God. But the point of the Numbers 5 picture is, look what bitterness does to the vessel that it dwells in. Right? So you suffered because of another, but now you're retaining bitterness. And guess what's happening? You are being consumed from within. So just think about this. pretty ironic. Think about this. Suffering has occurred from an external source, but bitterness, the Bible says, is self-inflicted suffering. It's self-inflicted. It takes that suffering and it intensifies it. And it raises the level of it. No wonder Paul would say, get it away from you. Get it away from you. James calls it a deadly poison. And yet, friends, let's just go back again and, and confess. This is one that not only do we say it's a, we would um, 
level it up and say this is, a, this is an acceptable sin. But we would also say this is a necessary sin. I must have this. Doest thou well to be angry? You better believe I do well to be angry. Because if I'm not angry, nobody's going to be angry. If, if, that's what John is saying. If I'm not standing for what's right, nobody will. So I've got to do it, God. Because you won't do it. You won't relieve me. You won't kill Nineveh. You, 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 won't, you won't make things right with Nineveh. You won't elevate me for my, my great faithfulness. By the way, this is after, this is after, I'm so thankful for the book of Jonah because it's so real. This is after Jonah has been in the belly of the well, fully helpless, saying salvation is of the Lord or I'm not going to have it. And then God saves Jonah. And Jonah receives all of the benefits of God's perfect salvation and deliverance. And yet still retains this sense of what's right and what's fair and what should be done. And says, I am right to be angry. Friend, never, ever, 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 ever underestimate the, 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 the indwelling nature of your sinfulness. And the power of your flesh. Never over, underestimate it. It's there. It seeks, bitterness seeks to alleviate suffering. Right? That's what his goal is. I'm going to alleviate this by being angry. But it only intensifies it. It only does. Hebrews 12, 15 says it defiles everything it touches. Well, that raises another level, doesn't it? So it's gone from this belly swelling and thigh rotting, this internal uh, destruction. But it says now it is, it's, it's a contagion. It's, it has an effect. It's, it's touching and it's defiling everything it touches. Friend, you must hear that. You must hear that. Everything else in your life, every other relationship, every other, every other pursuit, everything else in your life will be, will be adversely affected and even defiled. Through your bitterness. This refusal to release. James says it's, 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 it, it's, it, it, it. Well, James does one more thing. Is he says, he destroys the myth that our relationship with God can be whole and good and right and our other ones not be. It just can't happen. He says, you, he says, a fountain can't both produce sweet water and bitter. So imagine that. Imagine you go, you're at McDonald's or, or wherever your favorite place is to go, Chick-fil-A, and you, you know, those, uh, those, those machines are really fancy now. You can get all kinds of different drinks there now. You can get vanilla in your, in your stuff and lemon in your stuff, and you can get anything you want there, right? So imagine, though, that you go there and you can, you can put your favorite drink but but there was no there was no control over what was going to come out of there, so you might get your favorite refreshing drink, and you might get salt water, and there's no way to tell the difference. But friend, from you, from some of us, from probably all of us, that's sort of the nature of our personality, of our of our existence, not our personality, our existence. 
one can never tell what's going to come out. It's going to be salt water sometimes. Sometimes it's going to be Sprite. And yet even the Sprite is not very convincing, is it? Because what we usually do, he says, is you bless God with that one. You try to say these platitudes about God, I'm getting close to God, and God is really working in my life, and God is doing this, and God is doing that, and I'm so thankful for God, and I'm, I'm, I'm confident in my salvation, and blah, blah, blah. And, and you say these things, and he goes, it doesn't, it doesn't sound right. Because you're also cursing those who are made in the similitude of God. You're saying, how dare they have mopped those floors right in front of her, right in front of her feet yesterday, or how, how dare they do this, and how, it doesn't make sense, he says, you can't do it. And really, that's the ultimate tragedy of bitterness. You know what's worse? You know what's worse? What's worse than you being corrupted on the inside, destroyed? And what's worse than you defiling your relationships? What's worse is this, friends, is that we were, we, were, we were created and then we were redeemed to look like Jesus. To walk in his steps. And we forfeit that. We forfeit that. By holding on to bitterness. And so it's almost time to close. I'll follow this message up by trying to give some, give some, um, some helpful things, uh, some helpful truths in God's word. To help us wrestle with the bitternesses of our life. But let me just close this way instead. Let me just close by exposing just a little bit further. Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and try my heart. Let me just read it to get it exactly right. Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. There David is saying, Lord, you already know these things. But I'm not aware of all of them, Lord. And so I'm asking you, Lord, I'm asking you, Lord, to make them known to me. That's the starting place for every, every one of us, Right? Lord, make it known to me. You see, we're oftentimes defensive and protective, even in our bitternesses, and we want to label it something different. Well, let's close this way. Let's look at Ephesians 4 again, because I think Ephesians 4 has, gives us a helpful, um, just a, sort of a helpful identifier. Understand, what does this look like? Let me read it again. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So what does, what does bitterness look like? What, is it, what does it look like? Well, let's just go down the list. The first thing it mentions under bitterness is wrath. And so let me ask this question. I'll ask it in two ways. Are you one who often erupts in wrath? Just erupts in wrath. You're not sure. 
that trigger that triggers really quick, and then I never people are not sure what's going to push it. Let me ask you a different way. This is a way that's more probing to me. Instead of asking, "Do you often erupt in wrath?" Let me ask you this way: Do those close to you say that you often erupt in wrath? Anger is something that is not so so um, ignitive. Something that's more deeply held, residual, a regular part of the person. And so let me ask ask this question. Do those close to you say that you have lingering resentment? That colors your whole demeanor. The next one is clamor. That all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor. Does disorder and friction accompany a relationship with you? Clamor is just, like it sounds, it's clamor. It's, it's tingling symbols and noise and disorder and confusion. And, and is that a part of a relationship with you? Then Paul says, an evil, evil speaking. Evil speaking. How much concern... Those close to you, how much concern would those close to you say that you show with slandering another person? You go, wait, what's the definition of slander? Is slander saying the truth? Could be, yeah. Slander doesn't have to be a lie. Slander doesn't have to be embellished. Slander can just be the pleasure It's kind of a sick pleasure, but it's a pleasure. The pleasure of telling, spreading truths that are damaging about another. Now let me be careful to say this at this moment. There are some who use passages like this to say you should never bring up bad things. That's not true. Ephesians 4 would say in the same chapter, would say, speak the truth in love. Okay? Speak the truth. But is a negative slight towards another a common part of your speech? Put it away from you with all malice. Put it away from you with all malice. Now, let me really close this way. We're going to go to First Peter next. Let me talk about this because First Peter is a passage, is a book that is written to people who are struggling with bitterness, and it is filled with helpful things, but it's filled with the stories of the suffering Jesus. 
And the point of 1 Peter is that Jesus suffered, from our vantage point, unjustly. He was the just one dying for the unjust. He was the one who bore our, bore our sins on his body on the tree. He was the one who was the, who, who was the lamb who was precious and spotless. And he redeemed us by his precious blood that was spotless. He was the one who was trusting himself to the Father who judges righteously even as he was being buffeted, beaten by the hands of ungodly men. He was the one who said, Lord, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And so we'll go there. Look at that. Look at those passages. But I'll say this. I'll say this. The hope for all of us in this, because I, I believe, I can see your faces today. People are, are, most people are, are, are zooming in. You're identifying. We all would. We all should. Our hope is not in getting this all right. We won't. The greatest truth, I believe, that overcomes things like bitterness is the love of God for us in Christ. That with all the exposure that your heart has felt this morning, did you know it hasn't changed God's love for you one iota if you're in Christ? If you're outside Christ, your bitterness is only going to end in a bitter eternity. But if you are, if you are, we sang this song this morning, the sanctuary, if you are safe in the sanctuary of Jesus, <laughs> Jesus has paid it all. You have been begotten again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So that you can even right now rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Friend, you will find that the power to to, to have a kind and tender heart once again. Is because God's love for you in Christ is safe. And it's full. And it's final. And it's total. And it is. As Ephesians 4.32 would say. It is that powerful word. Purges us, that, 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 that pushes us and urges us to put it away and to clothe ourselves in kindness because God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Did you hear that? Why did God forgive you? Did you get it all right? No. Are you going to get it all right? No. God forgave you for Christ's sake. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever pleads for me. We won't do this next Sunday because I'll be in Crawford next Sunday for the wedding. We'll get to it soon. But may the, may the Holy Spirit 
May the Holy Spirit be working on all of our hearts. Just starting in the place of, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be defiled. But more than anything else, I want to look like Jesus. May He work on our hearts and draw us to Himself. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this day. Lord, again, we pray for Sister Sandra. We mentioned her several times today. It would be so, it's so tempting, Lord, to just to get a little bit bitter. Um, this seems wrong. So much of what has happened in her life seems wrong to me. Um, Father, we, we rest our souls in the reality that you are holy and true. And that your love for us and your love for her is perfect. Father, we pray for Will as well. I don't know what his thoughts are, Lord. I know he wants his mother with him. I know that death seems daunting and the path to death seems very difficult. Father, would you draw his mind and his heart to just the great rest that is found in the death, burial, and resurrection of our great Lord Jesus Christ. Father, may we all rest our souls in you in that way. In Jesus' name, amen.